0: morning. Happy Sabbath. Thank you, Trevor and Kendra. Unfortunately, it reminded me how irritated I was when my wife agreed to let Trevor take cello and have him to buy another instrument. But uh, obviously, what a blessing that's been for us and I think the rest of you. I start, I just want to say a prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for just your love and your protection and your word. I thank you for this church, and I thank you that the Holy Spirit speaks uh, through us, and I just pray that you will, the Holy Spirit will be with us this morning, that you will translate anything I say, any images I put up that they will give the message that you want us to hear, Lord Jesus. I ask these things in your most holy name. Amen. First, I'll put a plug in for a trip we just recently took. We went out for a wedding of a niece, and afterwards we decided to go to the Creation Museum and the Ark Museum. I don't know if any of you have heard of that, but it's in Williamstown, Kentucky and it's amazing. The Ark is is built in the dimensions of the Bible, so it's real size and they have all sorts of displays and if you have any time to get there, go there. If you have more time, spend at least three days. I'd recommend two days in the Ark and a day in the Creation Museum and you will not be disappointed and still you'll want more time. While we were there, The founder of the um, organization uh, Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham, was there, and we were privileged to hear a talk by him. And he uh, presented some about this book, uh, *Divided Nation*. And much of what I'm going to present today actually is derived from from his book. We are really privileged actually at this time of the world, to, to, uh, to be living now. I think if there's any place in world history that I could choose to live, I would choose now. It's an extremely exciting time. I think the world is ripe for the gospel. We have an ex- incredible opportunity and responsibility as a church to spread the gospel. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is a massive exodus from the church. Not only um, adults, but especially our young people. And we're seeing this in the worldwide Christian church as well. Australia, people are exiting the church in general. The United Kingdom, Canada, and of course all of America, we're just seeing a massive exodus from the church. In the particularly in the Western world, Answers. This is not a new phenomenon either. This has been going on for a while. In fact, in two thousand nine, Answers in Genesis produced this book called Already Gone, which addressed the issues of what's uh, what's happening amongst our young people in the church. Particularly looking at those in their twenties, showed that twenty percent of those churched as teens of 20 per, only 20% of those churched as teens are still active in church at the age of 29 61% of those churched as teens are disengaged in their 20s and the 19% that were never church remain unchurched later on they ask in this book they address why are the kids leaving the church why why what's the problem what's why are they no longer connected? Some of their answers are they can't really trust God. They, they say, how can there be a loving God in a world with so much pain and suffering? Another thing they address is, can we really trust the Bible? They say, haven't science just proven the Bible? Haven't we shown that the earth is millions and millions of years old and evolution as a fact has occurred and that haven't we disproven the Bible, and many of these have taken that as their new belief. This graph here kind of demonstrates one of the uh, results of that, and it's just a graph of church attendance. We see the greatest generation, those born before 1928, about 50%, 60% of them um, attended church nearly every week or more times than once a week. The silent generation, those between 1928 and 45, about 44%. The boomers, which I'm sort of at the tail end, my wife is totally at the tail end, 32% are attending church on a regular basis. Generation X, those 65 to 1980, only about 27% attend church on a regular basis. And the millennials, those born after 1981, only about 18% Claim to cha- uh, attend church on a regular basis. And this is um, data from back in 2009, 2010. I suspect it's less now. And of course, the gener- greatest generation, many of them have died off. The most disturbing news is Generation Z. Generation Z, it's not the most recent generation. I guess the most recent generation is Generation Alpha, and those that are born in 2015 and beyond. Generation Z are those born between uh, 1999 and 2015. In America, they're actually now considered the first truly post-Christian generation. We've entered the post-Christian time in our country. That's proven by another statistic that in 2018, they, they, they did a research and decided, um, wanted to find out who... Uh, what they had people identified as. Any statistics, I'd, most of the statistics I'll be presenting today are done by the Barna Research Institute, which um, researches religious trends. Of the elders, about 66% per claim to be atheist. Up to millennials, well it stays pretty stable, about 7%, 5, 6, 7%. But when we get to the Generation Z, it doubles. 13% are now claiming to be atheist. Again, becoming less and less Christian every day throughout America, throughout Canada, throughout the United Kingdom, and throughout Australia. Pretty much the entire Western universe seems to be leaving the church. So what's happening? I think that it dates just like what dates in Judges, when they talk about Judges 21 and 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I think we're losing our foundation. We're forgetting the Bible, and we're doing what's right in our own eyes. As a result, we're seeing that, especially our youth and the rest of us, we live sort of in a tornado of moral relativism. The Bible addresses this in Ephesians. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about in every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness, and by deceitful schemes. Ephesians 4, 14. So what can we do about this? And what is the problem? The verse I was given for the series making becoming one as a church as a people was acts 4:12 nor is there any salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved of course that name is jesus and when i was thinking about this verse who who is jesus how do we present him how do we know who he is and what he represents then I thought of John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is God, and God is the Word. So if we want to know who Jesus is, if we want to get a relationship with him and know who he is, we need to spend time in the Word. And particularly, and it was brought out in. Uh, at pretty strongly in this um, Answers in Genesis this the um, the Ark Museum was Genesis chapters 1 through 11 as a 7th Adventist church I think we're better than most as far as I'm pretty proud of our church as far as getting to the Bible and understanding the word of God and we're very good at Revelation and Daniel seminars we've done a lot of those and I think it brings a lot of people to Christ but I wonder if we haven't the foundation. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 basically have answers to all the questions that are facing us today. Almost every doctrine you can find in these chapters, it answers climate change, it answers just so much stuff that's going on in the world today. So, one of the issues, I think, is the problem that we're having is we're building our worldview on man's view rather than God's view. And an example of this, and Satan has been ta- attacking God's word from the beginning. An example of this comes from Genesis chapter 2, 16-17. Uh, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Man's word is Satan's response to this. Later on, Genesis 3, 1 and 5, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say that? You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And later on he tells her, if you do, you will not surely die. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 11.3 that Satan hasn't stopped this attack, right? He says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from the sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Again, Satan says, did God actually say that? Is that really what the word says? In the Genesis, answers in Genesis, they describe this as um, the Genesis 3 attack. And if you break this down, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say that? First of all, putting doubt in God's word, putting doubt in in who Jesus is. Did he really say that? The other thing he does is he says, if you eat of this fruit, you will not die. Again, just discrediting God's word, but you will be like God. So what is that saying? Knowing good and evil. That's putting right and wrong in our hands. So rather than basing our foundation on God's word, we're face- basing our foundation on man's word. So basically there's really just two religions in the world. We think there's multiple religions. There's Buddhism, Hinduism, Shintoism, all these different things. But really there's just two. There's God's word and there's man's word. And the Bible says that over and over again. We just have two choices. we are either for him or against him. We need to make our worldview based on God's word, not man's word. Man's word develops a secular worldview, and we see what's happened with that. It's basically a tornado of moral relativism. If we build... Our Christian worldview, on man's view, then everything just kind of falls apart, right? There's no foundation. We just decide for ourselves what's good and evil. It's like what Judges said, where there is no king, there is no truth. We just do whatever. We have to base our thinking, every idea in our life, based on what God says. Our thinking has to be purely based on God's word, not man's word. couple examples of that that the Bible teaches very clearly just to kind of bring out one is evolution evolution has been a major stumbling, stumbling block in the Christian church in general and even amongst Adventist churches we feel we need to make the Bible fit science rather than science fit the Bible so we're putting man's word first before the Bible. And this isn't just a problem outside of our the Adventist church. Supposedly, evolution is based on science. First of all, we need to know the difference between science, right? There are two different types of science. There's observational science. Observational science is what you see, you can test it, you can prove it, and that's pretty factual science. Evolution is all based on historical f- science, which is wrought with errors and inaccuracies, and you really can't rely on it. But yet, we've tried to fit Christianity into this so-called science. A couple things that don't make sense about it. First of all, if God used evolution to create man, which many people have tried to say now, that it occurred over millions of years, during the fossil record, it shows death. Through that whole time, all the way through the development of man. Also shows, and as this exhibit here says, that we check bones for bite marks. The duck-billed dinosaur backbone, apparently found in South Dakota, which is supposedly 65 million years old, they found bite marks in the back. They've also found evidence of cancer and and degenerative disease and other things in these dinosaur bones. The other thing they found is this. This is a display that's on the mu- in the museum, at the Creation Museum. It shows a fish eating another fish in the fossil record, supposedly millions of years old. If this is true, then the Bible can't be true, right? Because what does the Bible tell us? In Genesis 1, 29 through 30, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that, it is, that is on the face of the, all the earth and every tree with the seed and its fruit you shall have them for food and every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth everything that breathes has the breath of life I have given green plants for food so before the fall of man what God had created he created a we all ate plants, including all the animals and beasts and cre- cr- crawling cre- creepy things. Genesis 9-3 after the flood is when God allowed us to eat everything. Every morning thing that every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants I now give you everything. So that didn't occur until after the flood. If we t- look at evolution and what they claim, it just can't happen. You can't have both. And I think we've, we've caused a lot of problems because of that. The other thing Genesis says is, in Genesis 131, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and morning was the sixth day. When God created everything, it was wonderful, it was good. That's not what the fossil record would show, if that's how it th- was true. It also addresses racism. This is an interesting uh, concept. The Christian religion, based on God's Word, is really the only religion, of course there's only two, that there is no room for racism in it. Every other religion, if you base it on evolution, you can't deny racism, because people would supposedly evolve in different um, levels. And uh, actually, you couldn't even really criticize Hitler if you look into evolution, because it's survival of the fittest. You would want to create a super race if you could, right? But Christian, based on God's word, doesn't allow this. The basic overview we see in the Christian worldview is there was creation, there was corruption when man disobeyed God, man deteriorated, became so wicked, God had to, get, had to reset And he chose Noah and his sons, and then after that, Noah and his sons reproduced, and they got confusion or led to the Tower of Babel. They built the Tower of Babel again to try to fight God and tell God that, you know, yes, you can throw another flood, but we're going to outsmart you. We're going to build a tower that can outdo the flood and God had to put a stop to that, so he put confusion and messed up their languages. So again, the basic biblical view is God created Adam and Eve. We don't know actually what color they were. We we just guess based on pictures and things we've seen. Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. Eventually it was back to Noah and his sons and and the daughter and their wives. And then they all produced, and then the Tower of Babel. Of course, the Ark. That's pretty much what it looks like there, and, but the actual size. Oops. So, the sons of Noah who went forth from the Ark Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. From these people, the whole earth dispersed. So, again, we come from common two people, and then we come from that common family of Noah. So you see the whole earth, see the Tower of Babel, confusion set in. They spread out through the earth. Then you have the different races develop, but actually, they're really not races. They're just different people groups from the same family. Different colors, or the same color, but different shades. This is a really interesting comment that that was brought out. So really, we're just different shades of brown. If you think about it, am I white? You know, I'm really not white, am I? I'm just a shade of brown. Our skin color is just determined by melanin. We're either less melanin or lots of melanin. If you look at it this way, this is a fascinating graph. We're basically, on one end, we're light brown, or on the other end, we're dark brown. If we're supposedly different races, where do we put the line? Isn't that an interesting concept? Where do we put the line? We're just one continuum. The God's Word, the Christian, based on God's Word, is really the only truth that shows that. Marriage is another thing the Bible addresses very clearly in the first chapters of the Bible. Something that we never really thought we'd have to deal with, but we are. Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Then God said, It is not good that man should be alone, I will make him a helper fit for him. The man gave names to all the livestock of the birds and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But to Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. This is actually quite a romantic story when you think about it. So there's everything in the Bible there. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into the woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. What a fantastic concept and, of course, the truth we really would re- treat our relationships like this, that we are bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. Therefore a mother, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And in the New Testament it addresses that also. He answered, have you not read, referring back to Genesis, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Gender. Another issue that we never really thought we'd have to deal with. And the Bible's actually pretty specific on this. And if we think this this is an issue, even in, I have three medical licenses, and each one of them make me go through a course on what gender means. The Bible's pretty clear on it. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now we know why I guess God's been so specific in his thing. You know, when we look at man's word... It's just an attack. Again, it's Satan attacking God's word, the legitimacy of his word. Leviticus 15.33, for anyone, male or female. Matthew 19.4 also refers to it. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Mark 10.6, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Actually if you look at science, that also proves it. If you look at observational science, it's fairly clear that men are a different chromosomal makeup than females. Men are XY, females are XX. Now they'll bring up, man's word will bring up, well there's these exceptions. And there are different syndromes and genetic disorders. But we know the rex- reason for that, because sin entered the world, and that's also explained in Genesis. Sin entered the world, and as a result of that, death entered the world, and, and um, other variations and, uh, that God didn't intend from the beginning. The Bible also deals with abortion. This is a huge subject, but do you know that You can't just, for instance, Rory here had a new kidney. You just can't get a kidney from anybody. you to get a kidney from somebody else, it's going to be rejected, and it's not going to live in your body. But God put an anti-rejection mechanism in the uterus of a female because that baby growing in the female, which one is being delivered as we speak, I guess, isn't that pretty exciting for the Mitchells? That baby growing in the uterus is totally separate from the mom. It's a totally individual, genetically independent person. So when we talk about a mother being a a female being able to do what she wants with her own body, it's not her own body. It's a totally different individual in in the uterus. We need to think foundationally. We need to Base our worldview on God's word, not man's word. And I think getting back to Genesis 1-11 through 11 is not a bad idea for us. The Bible tells us that we should, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, to give an answer. To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I would challenge us as a church and as a people to get back to the Word of God and also not forgetting the first books of the Bible, Genesis one through eleven and I think we especially need to teach it to our children and our young people because they are listening and hearing man 's word, and if I would put another as the school is approaching soon and put a big plug for our schools, we need send our kids to our schools because they're not hearing this in the public education. They're not hearing. Christianity has basically been thrown out of the public realm, and we're seeing the results of it as in this tornado of moral relativism. So I just want to challenge each of us to get back to the Word of God. We can bow our heads for prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word, I pray that we will not um, take it for granted that we have it at our free disposal. I just pray that your Holy Spirit will influence us and help us as we study your word, that it will be fascinating to us, and that we will draw closer to you and have a better knowledge of you through it, and that our lives will reflect your love, and that others will desire that stability and that Christian worldview that is based on your word. We ask these things in your most holy name, Jesus. Amen.